From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. The long-term investment that has the greatest return for taxpayers with the most positive social and economic impact that I have ever come to you with. It's called Smart Start Illinois, and it will make our state the best place in the nation to raise young children. How are you going to pay for it next year, the second mm -hmm. year, the third year? So although the ideas and the intent may be good, uh, I'm just very concerned uh, how we're going to pay for it. Governor J.B. Pritzker this week presented his new spending plan for the upcoming fiscal year. And he focused a lot on education and social services. But Republicans like the House GOP leader, Tony McCombie, you heard her there, they're skeptical when it comes to paying for it. We'll discuss the budget proposal and the Chicago Bears take another step toward moving to the suburbs. But the team is still wanting some help from the state. That's coming up on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield, and along with us, we have Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former Director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. And with us today, we have Dave McKinney, a reporter with WBEZ. Dave, it's always good to have you back with us. Well, thanks for having me. Well, this was a combined state-of-the-state state budget address. That has become a more common practice in recent years to only have this one speech. And Dave, you were following that. On one side, we heard uh, Governor Pritzker talk about the state of the state, shoring up the state's finances, getting through the pandemic, prudent spending. That was that was in there quite a bit. On the other, he wants to spend more money. So what was your takeaway from what the governor had to say this week? Well, I mean, it was a budget that, um, you know, is is the latest in a string of budgets where the, you know, he, he's had the luxury, I think, of, of being a governor who hasn't faced enormous fiscal strains. Uh, you know, he hasn't he hasn't had a governorship that has had to weather the, the, the kinds of problems financially that we saw erupt after 9-11 or, or the, the 2008 financial cra crash. I mean, the pandemic has been bad. He's had to navigate through all of that, of course. But but the, the, the state of the state's finances has not been terrible under his watch. And this budget is another example of that. I mean, there is some new spending in it, of course. Um, you know, he has a, a, an early childhood initiative uh, that has been a, you know, a, a key thing for him, uh, even back to the, the, the days when he was running as a candidate in 2018. Um, and the reception generally has been pretty positive to what he put on the table here uh, from from Democrats, certainly. And Republicans have, uh, you know, as we heard in the opener there, they were uh, uh, complaining about the, the the idea that there's too much spending in here and that it's going to lead to tax increases. But of course, the Republicans have this problem of, of being in the super minority. So they don't really have much shot at being, you know, a meaningful obstacle to any of this. So uh, given that they're going to adjourn and uh, scheduled to adjourn uh, early this year, it, it, it strikes me that this thing, this budget plan that he put on the table um, should stand a pretty good chance of, of uh getting passed in a, in a form that more or less resembles what he put out there. Well, in fairness to Republicans, Dave, we saw the, uh, you know, the one, one good example to me would be the uh, idea of making preschool available to every three and four-year-old in Illinois uh, if their parents are seeking it over the next four years. But next year, it would start with, what, I believe $250 million appropriation. But he wants to ramp that up times four in four years. And so it seems to me like that, you know, again, we're talking about the spending in this budget, but looking ahead, 
it is putting a load on the state's finances, it seems. Yeah, I mean, that's, it is clear that that's happening. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, he, you know, the first part of his speech, he spent a great deal of time talking about how, um, you know, that, that, that there has been some financial stability that has returned to the state. I mean, you know, you, you look at the bill backlog. Uh, that was he, when he when he came into office around eight billion dollars, and that's been winnowed down to next to nothing. The unemployment trust fund uh, uh, that, that had been uh, you know a multi billion dollar obligation that the state faced whittled down to next to nothing, and you know uh, and and you know they're putting an extra uh, two hundred million dollars into pensions uh, on top of the you know the roughly nine nine and a half billion or so or a little above that. Uh, that they're obligated to. So, I mean, they made strides financially uh, during his first four years to to enable some of this to 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 happen. Charlie, your thoughts on what you heard this weekend, the budget uh, proposal, you've taken a look through that. Yeah, it, I, I agree with, uh, with Dave in that what is going to ultimately get passed is going to be pretty much what the governor has recommended. And the the what would you say the the caveat i would mention is that there are a lot of groups that argue well governor it's fine what you've done but we need to do more uh for example the the advocates of early childhood education are saying well we should put more into that the budget proposal by the governor adds $350 million to the State Board of Education's budget to continue implementing the evidence-based foundation or funding rather for schools where the, the dollars are directed to the schools that are struggling. And again, advocates of those schools, particularly in the minority communities are arguing, well, it shouldn't just be 350, it should probably be 700 million. And there was an effort to uh, increase the child tax credit. All of these pressures are going to be there. So as I think, and I can't remember who it was, but one of the um, proponents of the governor's budget was saying that this is a ceiling, not a floor. And I think there are some of the Democrats in the legislature are going to look at it as a floor. And it's interesting because the Republican criticism wasn't based on specific programs we don't think this is a good idea but instead it was well how are we going to pay for this in the future and i would argue that the some of the economies that have been built into the budgets and the savings in, for example in not having to pay what at, at the height of the uh, the impasse was like a billion dollars basically an interest payments on bills that we hadn't paid. Now that's down to virtually zero. Those kinds of dollars are what's going to make this possible going forward. What's and your... in fact, I was going to say, and in fact, the governor's people say that this particular budget was predicated taking into account the possibility that we may have a slight recession later on this year. So they say that we're looking at it conservatively. Is it the right time to to expand like that, Charlie? Do you think? I mean, when you look at this budget proposal and when you look at where we were just what four years ago or so, um, the state was having a lot of trouble paying bills. 
is there concern here that maybe we've got an opportunity to, you know, set the course for the next decade or so in, in state government and look a lot better? But if you're going to go around and create a lot of new programs, you could be right back in the same position. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe the, the point that the Republicans were kind of trying to make. But from 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 my perspective, I think the investing in early childhood, for example, I think that pays off long term. And I think it's the kind of thing that the the governor has a four year program. And if times get tough, we can say, okay, we've done year one, but now we can't afford to do year two, three, four at this point. It's in, in my judgment, it's it's a doable budget. As circumstances change and as we go forward in the future, then we can look and see what we need to do now. For example, I believe it was the Civic Committee of the, the Commercial Club of Chicago argued we should have a 10-year increase in income tax rates and use that money to pay off pension debt. A lot of different ideas floating around. But as I said initially, I'm pretty sure that this is the budget, the budget that was introduced a couple of days ago is the budget that will ultimately be approved for the fiscal year that starts July 1st. Now, Dave, your your thoughts on what Charlie had to say about Democrats looking at this maybe as a floor rather than a ceiling when it comes to spending because they see a lot of needs. A lot of things, in fairness, have been put on the back burner during the pandemic. Well, I mean, that's, you know, they, they, they uh, certainly have... Uh, you know their priorities that uh, that that often are rooted in in, in need and, and and there's a strong purpose behind them. I guess is what I'm saying. But but you know it's just interesting looking at what the uh, you know the, the the body language of the two Democratic legislative leaders was. I mean they they both uh, both uh, House Speaker Chris Emanuel Welch and Senate President Don Harmon, uh, who was not at the speech because he has COVID. But he you know both of them signaled support for the spending blueprint. I mean, no, no budget outline from a governor comes through exactly as it, as it's proposed. But, but again, I think this one is, is probably going to be pretty close to what he, what he laid out there only because um, there, there are a lot of things in the, in the plan that he put forth here that wherever you're at on the spectrum in the democratic party, if you get these things, there, there are things that you can take on the campaign trail at some point and say, look what I've done. So, I mean, I think that uh, yes, there will be pressures, uh, as there always are, to spend more money on on uh, social service programs that that you know that they 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 do so much, but they they need so much more. You, you know, you didn't hear either Harmon or Welch sounding the alarm that more more needs to be done on that front. And that's what I would look for first. If there was you know any signal coming from them, that would tell me that that you know there's there's going to be a serious push to do that. You're listening to Stayed Week. I'm Sean Crawford, along with Charlie Wheeler. And our guest this week is WBEZ's Dave McKinney. Well, Charlie, as we just talked about, the, the pandemic really took a lot of the oxygen in the room, you know, from, from a standpoint of what the governor could do. That was really where the focus has been over the last few years. This And, of course, when he first took over, he inherited a lot of budget problems. Is this really, you think, the first budget with with J.B. Pritzker's priorities included? I mean, the, the things that maybe, sure, he'd like to do even more, but this seems to me to be the first one that really gets to the heart of what he's about. Yeah, I, oh, I think it's true. And, and as he kind of telegraphed in his inaugural address, early childhood education is something that's near and dear to his heart. And all the research, all the studies suggest that it's important 
particularly for kids from less favorable economic circumstances, that they get the kind of preparation that will enable them to go on, do well in school, and have a, a what would you say, a, a, a happier life, if you will. And it's interesting, too, because the the performance of the economy, I guess, defying some expectations, has been really good. And the Republicans are complaining that, well, we've got this pot of money from the federal government, and when the federal government stops sending us money, we're going to be really up a crick. But actually, the the money that came directly to the state is not part of this budget plan. We've already paid back everything we owe the feds. The money that's been going to individuals in terms of unemployment and other kinds of benefits, that is ending. And that has contributed to consumer spending, which would help push up the sales tax revenues for the state and local governments, and also to income tax returns because there's federal unemployment help is taxable. So that's had an impact. But if you think about it, the, the governor's budget proposal, well, for starters, they increased by roughly, oh, I would say roughly 1.4 billion, say, uh, their revenue estimate from what it was back in November. And some of that money, which would be considered like a budgetary surplus, is going to be used, roughly 1.2 billion, is going to go into a rainy day fund, which just a couple of years ago had all of, I think it was $60,000 in it. Now it's going to be pushing $2 billion. And he's also putting additional money, as Dave indicated, into the pensions. And this is the first time in Illinois history that in successive years, we put more money into the pension system than, well, let, let, let me rephrase that and say, we have never put enough money into the pension system to cover the costs of the future benefits earned by current employees. Not since day one, more than 100 years ago, have we done that. And in 1995, we adopted a plan that intend, would be intended to gradually bring us up to 90% of funding within a 50-year period. So by 2045, we should have all the pensions funded at 90% of what the benefits employees, both retirees and current employees, are entitled to. And we've a couple of years we didn't even follow we changed the law so we didn't even have to follow the 95 schedule and these last two years is the first time that we put more money in than what the 95 schedule required and so i think that's pretty significant and, and the amount of money is 700 million dollars and that's going to save several billion dollars in future payments so i think the governor's proposal, although he increases spending on what our current programs, he's also still dealing with some of the, the backlog issues and putting money to prepare for the future to the rainy day fund, paying more in the pension than what's required, 
so I think those are, are positive points. Well, David, uh, it wasn't all about numbers and new programs. The governor also took opportunities to, uh, to to bring up other issues, political issues, social issues that are out there. He talked about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. He talked about discrimination against the LGBTQ community, uh, anti-Semitism, things of this nature, even a not-so-veiled uh uh, throwing some shade there at uh, at Ron DeSantis, likely a Republican candidate for president. So, you know, what was your thoughts on on what we heard there from the governor when it came to that part of the speech? Well, I mean, you, you're you're right. It was this melding of, of financial priorities uh, along with kind of his ideological bent. I mean, the abortion thing was uh, the, the 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 portion of the speech that dealt with that included. Uh, his call to establish a hotline for, um, you know, for patients coming to Illinois from out of state, the, the uh, clinics in Illinois, he said, have, have experienced nearly triple the demand since Roe v. Wade was, um, you know, was done away with. And so uh, this hotline would, would enable uh, those patients coming to Illinois, it would help them with transportation and lodging and, and, and some of the logistics of getting in and out of the state. Um, and you know, money set aside there to to do uh, to do training for uh, reproductive health care workers. So I mean, you know, that was an interesting little piece of it. But you know, I mean, his language about uh, you know there was a, there was sort of a uh, a shot, I think, at at, at the uh, the Eastern Bloc Freedom Caucus, <clears throat> Aaron Bailey wing of the party. That you know, he had a line about uh, carnival barkers. Uh, that was, a, I think, a pretty clear reference to them. And, you know, the statement that the that group of lawmakers put out after the speech, uh, you know, right out of the gate took umbrage with being called carnival barkers, which I thought was, you know, entertaining uh, in, in some respects because, uh, you know, it seemed to get inside their heads a little bit. But, uh, you, you know, I think uh, J.B. Pritzker, uh, he's, he's our first, uh, I, Charlie, correct me, I think... Uh, well, he, he's uh, he's our first Jewish governor since Kerner. Is that right, Charlie? I was I was going to say since Horner. Since Horner, well, okay, Horner Horner definitely was uh, in in the '40s. But um, you know, he he talked about uh, anti-Semitism in the speech, and he talked about uh, you know this this uh, what he called a, a virulent form of of nationalism that is is overtaking our politics, and and he issued kind of a, a warning about. Uh, where we're headed as a result of that. So, I mean, it gave us, it gave us, uh, you, you know, really kind of a complete picture policy-wise and ideolo ideologically about, you know, who this governor is. And, you know, the thing to remember too about him with this budget is that uh, voters gave him a pretty clear mandate back in November. I mean, that was an election that he won that wasn't really even close. And so, you know, he's, he's taking that and running with it. And, um, you know, again, as I, as I said, I mean, the Republicans just don't have any kind of means to to, to do anything here to stop it. And, uh, you know, this is from from their perspective, the consequences of the election. You know, they, they put forth a candidate who, uh, you know, just didn't have appeal in the suburbs and, and in the city. And this is the cost of it. Now, there's a, you know, a, a governor in office putting, you know, moving in this direction. And of course, they don't like it. Uh, Charlie, before we move on, I'll let you weigh in on that. Uh, your thoughts about what the governor had to say in that part of the speech. Well, I thought it was rather unusual to get into such national, as Dave said, ideological issues. 
in a state of the state or in a budget address. But on the other hand, I think it was well warranted because I'm one of the people who, who shares the governor's concern about the hatred that we see in our country and the attempt to sort of isolate or do away with or pretend that folks don't exist. And for him personally, being Jewish, this anti-Semitism has got to really be painful. And also in terms of women's right to choose, he's been an advocate of that for decades, long before he got involved in politics. Well, while the governor was delivering his speech and made some news certainly with that, uh, putting his budget out there, my guess is, Dave, in the Chicago area, another story may have topped the news that day, and that was that the Chicago Bears had closed on a, uh, what, 300-plus acre site in Arlington Heights, former Arlington racetrack site, that uh, they have closed on that to purchase it. And there is a lot of plans out there for them to move the uh, team and play their games at a new stadium in Arlington Heights. What was the reaction to that in the Chicago area? Well, I, you, you know, I think that, uh, you know, certainly coming from Mayor Lori Lightfoot, it was, uh, you know, she's still confident that this team will not move out of Chicago and out of Soldier Field, which was only renovated, uh, you know, less than 25 years ago. Uh, and there's still money owed on that renovation. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this dance that the team has been having with Arlington Heights and, uh, you know, the news of this week was that they had had uh, had had completed the transaction to purchase the old Arlington International Racecourse property um, off of Route 53. And uh, it, it's a it's a valuable piece of property. No doubt about it. Uh, I think the team has has looked to places like Los Angeles, for example, uh, the, the SoFi Stadium there that was was host to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, as, a, as a template that, you know, why can't we have a bigger indoor stadium that can can host the Super Bowl? I mean, that that's, I think, what they're thinking about. They've, they've also, the team has, has long had a romance with the Northwest suburbs because, you know, they, they believe that, you know, a large percentage of their season ticket base resides uh, in, in that part of the world. And, and uh, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite know how this is going to evolve yet. Lightfoot uh, is going to make a play to keep the team there, but it's it's very unclear what tools she has uh, in order to do that. I mean, she was asked if she would be open to subsidies to keep you know additional subsidies to the team to keep them at Soldier Field. She wouldn't answer the question, um, and I, I don't know what kind of support there will be in the legislature for anything that the team might want uh, dealing with the way uh, a complex in Arlington Heights would 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 be taxed, um, you know, in terms of property taxes. I think that, that ge geographically you, you have an interesting kind of split there. Is a Chicago legislator going to vote to, you know, roll out the red carpet for the team to move into the suburbs? I, I'm not sure what the appeal for that would be. And, and the same for downstaters. What's in it for them? So it, it, I think this whole dance that's happening right now between the Chicago Bears and the city of Chicago still has a lot of runway left. I don't, I don't quite know how this thing is going to turn out. 
Now, just about a minute left here, Charlie, but it does appear as though the Bears still want some assistance from the state with that, uh, and something we've talked about in the show before, a uh, plan that would allow them to uh, negotiate more with local property, uh, or local uh, taxing districts to be able to pay a portion of property taxes more than uh, than they would otherwise, and that would help with their infrastructure costs. Yeah, and the the Bears have said, we'll pay to do the stadium itself by our own means. But the development that we want around the stadium, including perhaps a, a village, uh, shopping malls, theaters, all that kind of stuff, we want help in terms of the tax burden, property tax burden that we would have to bear. And as opposed to the concept of the tax increment financing district, which has been a long been around for a long time in which the property taxes the 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 property taxes are frozen for the business within the tiff district what the bears are saying is we want our assessment frozen and then we want to be able to negotiate an annual payment with the local taxing bodies uh on top of what the property tax would be on the frozen assessment. So not taking into, into account how much more valuable this property is now that it's been developed. And that's gotten a very cool reception down in Springfield and particularly the education community, the educators up there, the, the school districts in that area aren't happy about it. So I think as Dave said, it's got a long way to go it's no done deal. And even if the Bears decide to stay at Soldier Field, they still have that property, which they can develop on their own with housing and things like that. Well, time now for our notes from the field. Charlie, we'll stick with you and let you go first. Well, the Illinois Gaming Board came out with its statistics for calendar 22 last year, and it showed that video gaming far outranks other forms of gaming revenue for the state. In 2022, there were 8,693 locations, bars, restaurants, truck stops, that kind of thing, that had 47,378 terminals. And guess which location, or which municipality has the most of these video gaming terminal locations? Springfield, 145 locations with 789 terminals. The other top five, Quincy and Rockford each had 99, Decatur had 97, Joliet had 92. So for whatever reason, folks in Springfield and, and in the neighboring communities, the little towns around us, there's another 100 or so of these gaming sites. In Sangamon County, we're really into video gaming. Apparently. Let's go to uh, Dave, note from the field. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the video gaming point you bring up, Charlie, it makes me remember, you know, there was a big push under the Blagojevich administration to get this through and, and Blagojevich wouldn't go for it. And I think he characterized video gaming as the crack cocaine of gambling. I mean, this kind of those numbers are, are eye opening for sure. I, in terms of notes from the field, I mean, I've spent a couple of weeks doing some research on uh, basically the, the, the group of legislators who have gotten in ex-legislators who have gotten ensnared by uh, this federal corruption probe, the ComEd and AT&T probes, uh, and, and looking at what the status of their various pensions are. Um, interesting to learn that, that uh, you know, former state Senator Terry Link 
former state representative Andy Acevedo, both uh, admitted tax cheats. Um, both of them are getting pensions. Uh, the widow of uh, state senator, former state senator Marty Sandoval, who admitted in a plea deal with the government that he had accepted $250,000 or more in bribes, uh, is also getting legislative benefits through a pension. That's out uh, at WBEZ.org uh, now, and uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of if there's any legislative response to it. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for State Week. And our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Dave McKinney of WBEC. Get a podcast of our show at nprillinois.org through the NPR One app or iTunes. Just look for State Week. I'm Sean Crawford, and join us next time. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.